Amen. Amen. So glad to have you here this morning. We are talking about gift giving. Gift givers is our series. What are the gifts that were given to Jesus during His ministry here on earth? And last week we looked at the three gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh given by the wise men. And today we're going to look at a special story. But what is the most valuable thing you own? Think about it just for a second. What is the most valuable thing in your possession? For some of us, it might be jewelry at home in a safe somewhere. Uh, For some of us, it might be the vehicle that you have. That might be the most valuable thing you want. Some of us, it might be the house you have. Probably most of us, it would be the house that we have is the most valuable thing that we own. But maybe for us, if you want to talk about real value, it's maybe it's not monetary stuff. Maybe it's those old family photo albums or something, some heirloom passed down by great-grandfather in my house above my uh, uh, door in my dining room is an old uh, 12-gauge shotgun, which was my great-grandfather's that was passed down. And that's something pretty valuable to me. There's a few things, if you think about your house burning down, that you're quick to grab, you know, like... Okay, the kids, for sure, my wife. But then also that other thing, right? There, there are things that are valuable to us that maybe go beyond money. And some of us, it might be, even think of it this way, it's our reputation. It's really important that I would be an honorable person, that people would think I'm honorable or, or uh, not a thief. You know, those are important things. We, have a, we care about our reputation. That's valuable to us. Or maybe it's your identity, uh, or maybe your way of life. And some of you are here today. We live in the South. You're thinking, I'm never moving north. That's very valuable to me, right? To have grits available or, you know, bacon and eggs and good uh, homemade biscuits with gravy. You know, Miss Georgia provided a breakfast for me the other day. And I'm like, yes, it was a great day because it was good southern biscuit, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese. You know, like those things are important. Maybe that's important. That's valuable. Something that you possess is your identity, your way of life. And obviously, many of us would often say, or always say, our family, our friends, those are valuable things that are in our possessions. My children are valuable. But over Scripture, we see people giving things to God of great value. And what if God called you to give up your most valuable thing? He did it with Abraham. We think about all the things that David did and built unto the Lord and Solomon did and built unto the Lord. Just people of things of great value. There's just some natural response when we look at Scripture to give Jesus that which we have of great value. And why is that? Why is it that there was this natural response and why don't we see it so much today? And this is an act of worship. And the word worship means what you attribute value to. It's what you prescribe as worth it. You know, worship. It's the worth, the value of that object that I worship. It, and biblically, it means to honor or respect or value or give worth unto God. And Scripture says that we are to give worth or value supremely to God alone. That, that is the pinnacle of our value, the pinnacle of our worship, the pinnacle of all that we could possess would be to give value and honor up to God. That He is everything. Somebody say amen. He's everything. But here's the problem. You know, in this world, we really do struggle to worship God alone. Even myself. We struggle to worship God alone. There's this 
the tendency, and sometimes it's not even on purpose, that we would recognize, man, I have been seeking a lot more pride lately, that I've been uh, caring about what people think about me, or maybe it's so easy to hold my money and not trust God with my money, and I get, I get worried and anxious about my money, and then I recognize maybe I'm not trusting God with it, or I haven't put my value in God more than my money. Or maybe it's my, my, again, my job, my power, my career, that's keeping me away from God, and I've been worthing, giving value you more to my career or some of us uh, we've gone through things about relationships or sex or social status or all these other things that we could say uh, even entertainment we've begun to value more than God look at how many people stay out of church today in America that'll tell you where their value and what worth they place on communing with other like-minded saints and worshiping God is that not true Amen. We, in America, it's so easy. We value so many other things much more than God. And let's just be really honest today of why it's hard to fill church buildings. It's because we really aren't worshipers of God. It is a sad state of the church in America today. We struggle. And I think what God convicted me of as we begin this series is that so many Christians think, I will wait to worship God until heaven. In heaven, it will be worshiping God all day long, right? Uh, We know that we're coming back to this earth, but all of our life will be in value of worship to Him. And then in heaven, you know, people have these pictures of heaven where these angels and harps and clouds, and it's singing all day long. And some people are thinking, why would you want to go do that, right? Well, you don't have a glimpse of God yet. You don't understand who He is. And so many Christians, they're saying, well, I'll go to church another day. I'll give more money another day. When my finances are worked out, then I'll pay my tithes. Or when I have more time in my life, then I'll serve. And then I'll bring my kids to church. It's sad. It breaks my heart when I realize how many parents in our assembly only bring their church, kids to kids' church once every six weeks. The vast majority of people, churchgoers in our community, only come to church once every four to six weeks. What do we value? It's quiet, but it's true. How should we worship? Jesus says you should worship in spirit and truth. That means it's not, for the, it's not just out of the praise of dead religious works or doing things half-heartedly. And I can worship through prayer. I can worship through music. I can worship in praise. I can worship in giving of my time, talent, and treasure. But in every case, worship is defined this way. It should be given in faith and through a loving relationship with God. Worship should be given in faith and through a loving relationship with God. And what it really means, it is a response to the revelation of who He is. If we can worship in rote tradition, if we can worship with just singing a few songs and go home and not be changed by it, it means that we haven't really worshipped in faith in a loving response to a revelation of who God is. Because it should be in awe and wonder. It should be giving Him what we value most, which is our whole lives. If I have a true revelation of God, I will give Him what, he, what I value most. Because that means I value Him more. And that would be most of us, it is giving Him our entire 
lives. I give him my identity, my culture, my wants, my needs, my desires. I give him my wife, my kids, my job, my career. I give him my past, my present, my future. I give him my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups. I give him everything because I value him most of all. That is the definition of Christ's followers who worship God. I think about there's a story by the name, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Lu Fook, okay, in the mid-1800s. He was a Chinese Christian, and he was so moved as a young man coming out of barber school. He was anointed by God and had ability to preach, and he was so moved by this, uh, the coolie trade. It was a, uh, a movement or, a, you know, it, it's a, a time period where they were taking Chinese and Indian slaves and people who were getting really just tricked into becoming a slave, and they would go across the continents and be sold into slavery. And he was so moved by his countrymen being sold into slavery, and many of them dying, that he said, I have to reach them for Jesus. So you know what he did? He took out his name, and he sold his own self for five years to be a slave. And they sent him to the Caribbean, to north, uh, the northern part of South America, uh, to work as a slave. And for years he worked and toiled among them preaching Jesus Christ. And one day he developed a pulmonary problem, a lung problem, and he died as a slave. But not before reaching over 200 people to Jesus Christ and starting two churches for them to send other people even back to China. Think about the offering of worship that that man gave to God. And I think about, man, that is a radical sacrifice. And I think about what Jesus says in John 12, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And such a sacrifice is shocking. But what's the cost of your worship? And what's the cost of of my worship. And I'm not talking about singing a musical song. I'm talking about a life that is in response to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, that I, what I value most has been given to Him. And I look at my life and say, Heath, what is the cost? What is the price of your worship? What has your worship cost you? Because it should cost you something. Following Jesus should cost us Everything. But we can come in and go out of so many churches and Christians can come in and go out and never be changed. And it's seeming like like they have not had a revelation of Jesus Christ because I want our worship to be extravagant. I want our worship to be shocking. I don't want it to be religious routine. And I want God to look down and see the worship of the people at Sanctuary Family Worship Center and say, man, they are beautiful to me. They are doing a good thing for me. I don't care what anybody else is doing, but we in this room, we can say our worship would shock others. It would be astounding the way we live in response to who Jesus Christ is. Those who do not waste their worship on Jesus will ultimately waste their entire lives. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Where are you wasting your worship? What does it cost you? What does your worship cost you? And for some, they're going to say that your life has been a waste. But if we're not wasting our life on Jesus, we are wasting our entire eternity. I want to talk to you this morning about the fragrance of faith. 
You know, many gifts were given to Jesus in his entire life and his ministry. And you can go back and we see the wise men's gifts. We see boats that somebody gave him to ride on. We see uh, houses that he had to stay in. We see the little boy who gave him loaves and fishes to multiply. Many people throughout his ministry, there were many women who supported his ministry. We'll talk about that some tonight. Very special service tonight. But there were many people who gave into his ministry that made Jesus' ministry possible. And we think about one very special story about a woman, a sinful woman in early part of his ministry in Galilee who came inside a Pharisee's house and she opened uh, some perfume and she poured it on his feet and she washed his feet with the perfume and wiped it with her hair. Uh, And this beautiful moment is at the early part of his life, but we see it happen again right before Palm Sunday, right before the moment he would enter into Jerusalem and be killed. And so look with me in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Let me set this stage for you for this. Here is, we are in the town of Bethany. Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives. It was a popular place for people to stay as thousands upon thousands would come to Jerusalem for this great celebration of Passover. It was a pilgrimage feast and people from all the nations uh, who are Jewish would come and pilgrimage in. And one of the popular places to stay was at Bethany. Bethany is the town of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. These three are brothers and sisters. Now, we remember Mary. She was early on in Jesus' ministry. Remember the story of Mary and Martha. Mary was so captivated and wanted to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that she would often find herself listening in. She was supposed to be doing the dishes and preparing the meals for the boys. And Martha often was the older one. She was always preparing the meals. And she would find Mary often slacking and just listening in to Jesus' teaching. So much so she would find herself putting the tray down and going over here and just sitting in. And Martha obviously would get mad. And and Jesus would say, well, she's chosen the better thing. She knows what real food, real preparation is. She wants to hear me speak. And that's most important. That's the Mary we're talking about. It's also the same Mary that when her brother Lazarus had died, when he had talked to Martha, Jesus had told her about him being the resurrection. But when Mary came and cried at Jesus's feet, oh, you know, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother hadn't died. When Jesus saw Mary, it moved him with compassion. And that's the verse we get. And Jesus wept. Jesus had wept at Mary's plea. Because Mary was moved. And so here we are with uh, N. Bethany at a house uh, owned by this man named Simon the leper. And Simon probably was healed by Jesus at some time. Some people even think he might have been Martha's husband or even their father. We don't know. But they're in this home, all the disciples at the table. Lazarus is there. He's just been resurrected from the dead. There's a great roar of excitement in the community. But Jesus has been repeatedly saying to them, I must go and die. I will be crucified. They will lift up the Son of Man. It is appointed for Him to die. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But Mary had been listening in. It's very key. Mary had been listening in. And here we find Mary again not doing what other people expected of her. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. I've combined on, the, uh, on, our, on our reading here today uh, the Gospels of Matthew and John. 
into this text. So I may add in a few verses to make the story complete. So just follow along with me. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, of pure nard or spike nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over his head and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But some of the disciples were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? And they were scolding her. And then John adds, And Judas Iscariot, one of, the three, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was put into it. And Mark goes on and Jesus said, Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you cannot do good always to me. And she's done what she could. That's key. You should underline that. She has done what she could or all she could. She's anointed my body beforehand before the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman, what she's done, will be spoken in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, was went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when they had heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Her fragrance filled the room. There's some essential oil here. Uh, and maybe it'll fill this auditorium here in a second. This is uh, a lavender. Lavender may come from one of the nard families. But that day that she poured out, she poured out something called spike nard. Spike nard was a very rare and valuable uh, perfume or incense. It also was used sometimes for healing properties. And it says that it was worth 300 denarii. A denarii was one day's wages. So that's almost a year's of laboring wage. So for us in America today, let's say it was almost $30,000. Somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000 of perfume. Anybody have perfume that costs that much? Not a person, right? Why, what was that? That spikenard was in a flask. It was in an alabaster, a kind of a marble flask. It was a very Egyptian thing. Uh, comes back from those times. And they would seal it in there because the perfume was so precious. And they'd put the top on it and it would be sealed. And the only way to get it out was to break open the top of the flask. So for Mary, this is a one-time and done decision. This is an all-in moment that she's about to do for Jesus Christ. And likely, something of this value, twenty dollars to $30,000 in modern context, probably was her backup plan. Maybe it was her 401k or her retirement. Maybe it was a, a gift passed down from her father to say, Mary, if things don't work out in your life, use this and you'll get by. Maybe, as a single woman, it was her dowry and saying, this will set you and your new family up for your future. So Mary has taken something that really represents her life 
And what does she do with it? She breaks her life and she pours it on his feet and on his head. She, it says that the fragrance filled the room. And in a sense, it's saying that her life of worship filled the room. What about your life and my life of worship? Would someone look at us and say, man, that person has gone extravagant for Jesus Christ. They've gone radical for Jesus Christ. Their life has been broken and poured out for Jesus Christ. That all they have, that their future, everything they have to be set up for their future is all in to Jesus. It's hard for us to even think about this. One pound worth a year's wages. And she anointed his head, which was custom at meals for an honored guest. And she anointed his feet, which is symbolic of of a, a request or a plea, or it was a sign of intimacy or favor. And sometimes you could see that could be done. But for Mary, this was something greater. It was something even beyond the custom of anointing the head and a custom of anointing the feet as an honored guest. It was done in love and in faith. It was a response to who he is and who he was to her, who she saw him to be. Because the anointed one is the same word for Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. And in doing this, she was proclaiming who she thought he was. See, around the world today, there's all kinds of people saying who Jesus is. There's a lot of people sitting at the table with Jesus. They'll say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I do this thing. And I come once every six weeks or I come on Easter, blah, blah, blah. And that might be like the religious people sitting at the table with him. They all knew, quote, unquote, who he was. Peter had said he was the Messiah, but was soon to deny him three times. Judas was about to betray him. Thomas was going to doubt him. And here's Mary listening in. And she says, no, I believe who he says he is. And enough to break open my life, my future, all that I am, even to give up my marriage, to give up my safety net, my retirement plan, my backup plan on life, and I will pour it on Him. It, and some people are going to think, I was a waste. You, you don't understand what you're doing. Couldn't you have done something better with your life? Couldn't you have done something better with that money? Couldn't you have done something better with your time? Say, but Mary says, no, 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 no. But He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. And she goes even further than that. And I believe that He's come to die for me. Because the other part about anointing is that anointing was often done to dead bodies with this perfume. And in a sense, Jesus says, well, she's done this in faith. Because unlike you boys who are listening in, this little girl who's been listening into our conversation, she believes what I've been saying for weeks now. I'm going to die. She's preparing me for death. Think about what that would look like for you and for me today. What is your most valuable possession? What do you trust in the most? No doubt that spikenard was the thing in her life. She didn't have much. That was the thing she could trust in. Well, if this doesn't work out in my life, at least I've got that spikenard. 
If nobody ever marries me, at least I got that spike nard. If things in the future don't work out, at least I can sell that and I'll get by. You know, we all have backup plans. We all have a 401k to hold on to or a retirement plan or we've got family to lean on. Oh, if, if, you know, if my rent falls through, at least I can go back and live with mom or dad. Or, or maybe if I lose my job, at least I've got the savings to get through. Or, you know, if, if this relationship works out or doesn't work out, I can always go back to the last one. Or, you know, I've got something. I've got a house I can go to and a car I can go to. I've got a bed to sleep in. I've got things that I can trust in in this world. Let me tell you, it is so easy to trust in the natural things that we have and can see. It's so very easy to trust in the things of this life and think, well, I can always fall back to that. I can always trust in that. That is what, if this gets shaken up in my life, at least I have this to stand on. And what Mary was saying is that I give up what I stand on. I give up what I trust in and I break the things that replace Christ. I've given it all into Jesus and all to Jesus I surrender. And I see him as more valuable than my future, more valuable than my finances, more valuable probably for than her marriage. He is most valuable. All of her worship was into him. Can you imagine if we were to have a, a student here and, and if we saw a young person who was just, uh, you know, they had this great football future, a great baseball future, then they just gave it up and went into relationships and drugs and sex and alcohol. We would say, man, you're wasting your future. You're wasting your life. What are you doing? Wouldn't we say that to a, a, your son or your daughter or a nephew or niece and say, what are you doing with your life? You're wasting it. Don't we say that? She was doing the same thing, but it was in response to the value of knowing Jesus. Is your worship that crazy? Is your life all in? And she says, all I have, Jesus, is this spike nart. It's all I have, everything I've got. And I know he's about to die. I think he could use this. What do you have in your life that is most valuable that you think Jesus can use? Would I be willing to give up everything if God said he'd sell all your possessions and give to the poor like he did to the disciples? Or leave your nets and come follow me. Leave your way of living. Leave your way of eating. Leave your way of believing. Leave your way of talking. Leave your way of dressing. Leave everything about you and lay it at my feet. Come follow me. You see, it's not a radical call anymore in Midwestern and Southern United States. But Mary was worshiping in faith. Her worship cost her something. So what is the wage of worship? Let's look at the maybe three things about our wage of worship, of doing all that we can, is the first one. So many can come and go from church and their lives seemingly are never changed. But Eric Ludy said it this way. He said, when you see God for who he is, there is not a yawn, there is a life change. When you see God for who he is, the natural response should be, wow, that's my Jesus. That's my God. And I'm all in. Does my worship have any value to God? And do I worship him in faith? Number one, do all you can. Mark 14, 18 says that Jesus said, she has done all she could. I love that. When she sees this beautiful moment, a very intimate moment, a very awkward moment, 
And they, they're rebuking her, they're scolding her, and she says, she's done all that she could. What does it look like in your life to smash what replaced Jesus? To respond and go all in with Him. And likely, I love this part, that likely nobody really knew probably what she was doing. I imagine they're all sitting at the table eating and, and fellowshipping and they're getting ready, taking the Passover together. And all of a sudden they go, what is that smell? Do you smell that? What's going on? Man, that smells really good. It's overwhelming. It's so strong. Oh my gosh, what is happening? They look over, Mary, what did you do? You gave up $30,000. Don't you know what we could have done with 30? You know how many churches we could have planted with that money? You know what we could have done with that? Do you, do you understand? That was what your daddy gave you from your grandma's, you know, uh, chest. You know, that's something. But you just wasted it. We can't glue it back together. It doesn't have. But Mary, what? her fragrance of worship. I want my worship to fill a room. I want my life, when I go into a workplace or a school or an environment or my family to say, man, this guy, can't you smell it? He loves Jesus. Can't you, can't you feel the sense of the Holy Spirit joy on this person? That man is responding with all he's got to a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. But so many Christians, we can come into a church and we're not even talking about lifestyle worship. We're just talking about singing a song and it's like, well, Jesus, hallelujah, okay, waiting for that pizza at home, right? And we're, we're just, we're lifeless, we're monotone, we're not, we don't even have a revelation of the awesomeness of our God who sent His Son to die on the cross for me and my sins and saves me from a devil's hell and seats me in heavenly places and for the joy set before Him endured my cross, despised my shame, but yet He did it anyway. Do I have a wage of worship? Do I have a cost or a price tag for my worship? I think of it this way. If you really get down to it, she literally broke out in worship, right? She did. And just, I love these things where you see people just spontaneously coming together and singing. You know, we see people in the Capitol buildings and, and you know, squares and market street corners. They're just spontaneous worship. Man, should we just be like that? That we could just break out and worship to Jesus. Somebody comes up to you and just says, man, my day is so man, man, blah, 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 blah. And you just say, you know what? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He's on our side. Today is a good day because Jesus is on the throne. I'm, he's seated, I'm seated in heavenly places with him. God is coming back soon. Who cares if they screwed up your fast food order? Right? Come on. Can we just break out in positivity and praise for who he is? And what he's done for us. That my, my aroma would be sweet smelling. That my love would be lavished on him. And I would say Jesus is the anointed one. It should be a little bit more extravagant in our worship. Is there anything in my life I'm trusting in more than Jesus? Is there anything in my life I'm trusting in, leaning on, holding on possession to more than Jesus. Because that might be the thing that will be the most fragrant offering to Him. I remember the, the day God told Beth and I to give $1,500 to somebody. 
and it was an anonymous thing, and I just, I just knew that we were supposed to do it, and we were just early on in marriage. We didn't have a whole lot, but I just, I mean, it was worth it. There was a person who was in need, and they needed it, and I had it, and I, sure, I needed it. You know what I could have done with $1,500? A lot of things. That's a lot of eating out. That's a lot of some house payments, you know, and, and when you only make, you know, less than $30,000 a year as a young person, $1,500 is a lot of money. But you know what? When you understand the value of knowing Jesus and giving an offering unto Him and you do it unto the Lord and if He's told you to do it, you say, I know Jesus. He's the answer. I trust Him more than that money. I trust Him more than that job. You know, there was one day in my life where some God had felt led to come and move to another state with a bunch of interesting-looking people in a, in a culture that was kind of foreign to my wife. But you know, God's valuable, right? No, I love you. I love you. But do you understand? If God says, give me everything, go all in. Do all you can to worship Jesus. Somebody say amen. Number two is this. Don't listen to critics. Don't listen to critics. Mary's level of worship opened her to criticism. Judas was saying, you know what, Mary, that, the value of that spikenard, it had a better purpose. But Mary's like, oh, no, 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 no. No, the value of that spikenard is nothing compared to the value of knowing Jesus Christ. And Judas is over there. He's saying, Mary, your worship is a waste. You know, you're always going to have somebody criticizing you for worshiping Jesus. The world, the devil himself, they want your worship. The devil wants your worship. If, at least, if it's not going to God, he wants you to worship money and fame and pride and sex and lust and all these other things, the cares and affairs of the world, and he wants it to choke out the word of God. That's what the devil wants. He wants your worship to be occupied on somebody else. And they say, well, your worship is a waste. It's a waste how you live your life. It's a waste how you give all your time to that church. It's a waste how much you pray for that lost loved one. If you just could give up on that relationship, it's a waste what you're doing. But she says, no, 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 no. You see, Judas would later be called by Jesus the son of perdition. You know what that word in the Greek means? The son of waste. You see, where Judas was saying, Mary, your worship is a waste, Jesus was saying, no, Judas, your life is a waste. For this night, you're going to betray me. And there are so many people in this world, and they're going to call you and the way you live your life a waste. But unless you are wasting your life on Jesus Christ, you'll waste your eternity in hell with the devil and his angels. Because there is only one way to spend this life, and that's to go all in with Jesus Christ. I want my life to this world to look like I wasted it on Jesus Christ. Bring on the criticism, bring on the persecution. Because like Mary, let's just waste it all on him. Judas and all of them were saying, well, if you would have just spent it on the poor, and you say, well, don't Jesus want to spend money on the poor? Doesn't, shouldn't you give your money to the, this and that? And Mary's like, when you understand the priority here, it wasn't that Jesus was saying, no, we shouldn't give to the poor, and no, we shouldn't give to our churches, and no, we shouldn't do good works. But unless you do good works in honor and in love of Him, they're also a waste. You see, Judas wanted to give money to the poor because he wanted to put some money in that pot and keep some for himself. He would have loved for Mary to cash out that $30,000 and put it in Judas's hands and Judas to pocket a little bit of that, little bit of that worship. 
You see, the, the world wants you to give them a little bit of your entertainment, a little bit of your time. The world wants your money. The, want, the world wants your praise. The world wants all of your investments. All the world wants your focus and your mental aptitude and all of your investment. The world wants all of those things from you. But if we would just say, no, 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 no. I'm going to give. I'm going to give unto the Lord. I'm going to give through Jesus. If I give to Jesus, then everything works out fine. Worship can be good works, but good works are not always worship. It matters where your heart is. Both of them could have worshipped God at that table that night, but Mary worshipped in love and in faith. Could somebody look at your life and say, your worship is worth a rebuke? The first is, do all you can. Your worship should have a price tag on it. It should be valuable. It should cost you something. Two, to the world, your worship should be offensive. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? Part of this life into Christ should look like a waste to others. And if we look so much like the world, and we can come in to come to church, like, well, you know, we have bass fishing, you have church going. That's okay. We have going to the movies and going to these parties. You have church going. We're pretty much the same. No, 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 no. My life should look so radically different in how I talk and act and behave and think and pay and spend and invest my time, talent, and treasure that to the world it looks like, man, you are so crazy. You are such a waste. Is your worship worth a rebuke? Is your worship offensive to somebody? It should be offensive to this world how we worship Jesus. And lastly is this. In everything you do, do it unto the glory of God. Everything you do should be measured this way. Do it for Jesus. It's easy to do things secretly for the praise of men, but I should ask myself this. Heath, why do you attend church? Do I do it to get a paycheck? Because some pastors do. Why do I attend church? Is it I do it for the praise of other people because I want other people to think I'm a good person? Do I do it because I don't want to go to hell? That's not a good reason to do it either. Do I do it because I feel guilty because Pastor Heath and Miss Evelyn send cards all the time to my house and worry about me where I am? Because we do that too. But don't do it because I send you cards. And don't do it because I text you and phone call you or your small group leaders text you and phone call you. Where have you been? Where are you at? What's going on? No, 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 no. Everything you do, do it because you have a revelation that Jesus came, He died, He rose again, and He's coming back. Do it for Jesus. Sacrifice your time, your talent, and treasure because it's for Jesus. It's offered in love. You're giving it through faith. And that's the only way He'll accept it. You see, the world said her offering was flagrant. It was scandalous. It was a waste. But Jesus says her offering was fragrant. It was sweet. It was good. And He says she has done a beautiful thing. Could he say that of your life today? Worship team, would you come? Could he say that of your life today, of my life, that I've done it all for Jesus? I've given everything I have. The price tag on my worship has cost me something. And my worship is even worth a world's rebuke that it's offensive to people how I respond to the revelation of Jesus Christ.